This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Hohokam, and Yucateco Maya people, and we wish to pay our respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichiwa, what's up, cousins? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your Sir Auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blasian Blurred. And I have a partially recorded episode that I was intending to air this week about um, engaging in liberation and liberation movements for the first time or as a beginner or feeling like you're really new here and you just don't know how to get involved. And I still think that that is an important episode for me to share but I kind of, two reasons why I had to put the bricks on it to share what I'm going to share with you today. Um, one is um, I have had a, an update on what my healthcare situation is. Over the last few weeks, I've been in bed because of what I thought was just a full body muscle spasm and how I physically really couldn't move that well. Um, in some cases I would have slightly better days than others. Um, but for the most part, uh, even just the act of sitting up straight was uh, too painful, uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, since I wasn't getting better and in fact I was just getting worse and, and I thought I was getting worse through my own sort of irresponsibility of just like the frustration of not being able to do anything. And then I just get up and try and then end up hurting myself worse. Uh, my doctor was suspicious that it, it wasn't just muscle related. So we started doing a panel of tests and what we have seen is there is something else happening, something that is indicating an auto autoimmune, um, disorder that I have been suspicious of for years. And every time I've tried to advocate for myself in U S healthcare, I have been denied and, without having to advocate for myself here in Mexico much besides calling the doctor and asking for medication, the doctor was seeing things and said, let's escalate this search. And so, well, I don't know 100% yet all the things, so I'm not going to explicitly talk about my personal health. I will say that I am on the path towards figuring something out. And even just in the two and a half days since we've gotten even the hint of what we think it is, um, my situation has improved enough that I am currently sitting up straight. Um, I mean, I'm wrapped in pillows, but I'm sitting up and I'm able to sit at my desk recording versus recording from bed desk, which is what I've been doing, which doesn't sound as good. Um, but, and I, I can't sit up all day, but I've already started to make some improvements. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm recording something different today. Um, the second and more major reason is because in the last week and a half, I've noticed, um, even from my own self, uh, a confusion around what 
are the right efforts to make during this organized boycott that we're collectively doing and how it relates to what BDS already has been doing for decades. So I thought I would take a pause from the liberation episode and and provide more clarity that I have um, about the 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 boycott that has collectively been agreed upon through social media and what BDS is already doing and explain what those two things are. I have a little bit more information that I think will be helpful to people who are trying to sift through the noise. I know there is so much in social media right now that you just cannot track it well and you will, the more you pay attention to it, the more you'll feel like a failure. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you in the directions of what to be looking for to help you feel more like an active participant, an informed participant. And, uh, and it's, it's, it felt important and more timely today for me to record this than a general sort of discussion about liberation. I will get there. It'll be a part of it. I don't know if I have the stamina. Maybe I just start doing more recordings through the week or something like that. I don't know. But, but for right now, this seemed to be the more pressing thing. Before I get into that topic, I do have um, something I want to address from the previous episode. Um, I was not flooded with comments. I'll say that first. I was, I was sent two comments about it. And the, the comments made me aware of a section of what I said that might not have been that clear. I went back to listen to it to check, and I did say what I meant, but I don't think it was emphasized in a way that was clear. And so it implied, or at least the way it was received, at least from uh, the commenters, uh, was that I was implying something else. And uh, so I just want to put out the clarity uh, about that, and then we'll jump into this discussion about um, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. So last week I had partially in emotion and partially in just like um, here's what it's going to be type of thing. I had pointed out that there was an 84% drop in listenership on the I Stand with Palestine episode. So from the very last episode with Nicole, a one-on-one regular episode of Militantly Mixed, in which I do address what's happening in, in Palestine in the intro, Uh, That was at the start of my knowledge of things because the events of October 7th, I had not heard about until after like the 13th or 14th or something like that. Um, So between that little mentioning of it at the start of the last episode I had with a guest to the week later where um, I did the I Stand with Palestine episode, there had been an 84% drop in listenership. Uh, And what I was expressing there, the disappointment that I was expressing there, uh, and I I do believe I was clear about this because I listened back and I I said exactly what I still believe right now was, it's not that I'm concerned about losing my listenership for the show. I could lose every listener. And as long as I have the resources and the stamina, I could still continue to control record episodes and put them up they don't have to be listened to Um, as much as I need to find a way to turn my podcasting into my form of living survival my my paycheck um, 
that isn't how I got into the game. That's not why I got into the game. It's, it's, it, it would be helpful now so that I don't have to get an outside job, but um, my motivation isn't to get rich off of telling the stories of mixed people on the internet. Um, Militantly Mixed is a liberation platform. Militantly Mixed is, is my participation in uh, the liberation of, a, of oppressed people overall and my desire to um, create an archive of mixed narratives, mixed stories, so that people don't feel so alone in the world, which I also believe is a form of liberation work. When you feel like there's nobody else but you, that calls your own humanity into question for, for a lot of people. And I want you to know that you're not alone and I want you to know that there's a community out there and I wanna build community around us and that is why I created this platform. So, you know, as excited as I was in the beginning about my first 11 listeners, I continue to stay excited that people are here at all because to me that tells me that people want to engage, want to create community and want to be a voice for like the people versus um, catering to oppression or catering to you not being the main character in your own story. Both of those things can be happening at the same time. Um, so what I was not saying was, oh, boo-hoo, no one's listening to my show. What I was saying is, and I will maintain the, this emotion that I was having, I, I will... I will I'll sit in it and I'll own it. I was disappointed in what I perceived the militantly mixed audience shutting off. Um, thinking that witnessing what is happening in Palestine and Sudan and Congo uh, is not their issue or that it's too much and they can't bear witness. And that disappointment that I was feeling was only semi-accounting for. And I say semi because I, I listened back and I did say it, but I didn't say it with as much of my chest as I said the rest of it. Um, I did say something to the effect of, um, it's not that I expect Militantly Mixed to be your first stop on, um, oh, there's a crisis afoot, let's go to Militantly Mixed and see what they're saying. I don't expect that out of this audience. I don't expect that out of anybody. I don't expect to be the first stop that people take on the road to liberation. I just want to be in, in the stops that you take. I want to I be able to be there to provide information that may be helpful to you or to drop a seed that makes you do research or something like that. That's, that's the role I want to play. And to see it go to tens of people listening in one week's time that was really jolting because it's one thing if you're just trying to sift through all the information and you're like I'm putting a pause on listening to this while I focus on you know what's really happening things that I can see that that stuff makes sense but it seemed big it seemed surprising um, because in previous uh, triggering events, crisis events that um, that I've ended up speaking on, on, that I have ended up speaking on on this show, um, 
there have been an increase and and then a steady maintenance after that. And so again, this isn't what I'm not saying is, you know, I'm sad I didn't get more people. What I'm saying is that I believed that at the time Militantly Mixed was being used as a resource um, for information about what was happening in the world. And in this case, I wasn't fulfilling my personal um, expectation of, of my platform. I wasn't, I wasn't providing enough information or, or I wasn't being a strong enough presence. I wasn't being an aid to the cause. Um, and so there was that mixed with what I was feeling disappointment that maybe this audience wasn't as militantly minded as I thought. And even though it was, I didn't say it with my whole chest, I said it's smaller, you know, I know there's a lot of other stuff that people are paying attention to right now. Uh, I, even with that, I still felt like it was a, a, a surprise that the existing audience w didn't, wasn't here, even a little bit. Um, you know, 10, 20% loss would have made more sense given the history of the show. Uh, and 84% loss, I, I really couldn't conceive of that math in the moment. And so uh, in the comments that I received, I, I had agreed with what each of them had said, which is just like, there's so much material out there. Um, we're, you know, we're not not paying attention, but, you know, there's so much material out there. And I was like, I absolutely agree with you. I did say that. It just wasn't the loudest part of what I said. Um, but... Uh, in the comments that I got, something also seemed to pop up. And this is the thing that I, I will not be soft on, I think is what I want to say, is when people say it's so exhausting, bearing witness, um, or they're just, they just don't have any, anything else to give. I don't not agree with you. It is exhausting witnessing the genocide of other people. It, you are heart sick. Um, and in some people's cases, mine included, what I'm witnessing is also exacerbating health issues that I have. And I am getting sicker while I'm continuing to bear witness. But what I, I Charmaine personally cannot abide by, and this might be a line in the sand for some people, is your tiredness because you have the privilege, because we in the Western world, we who are not in Palestine, we who are not in Sudan, we who are not in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Myanmar, all the other global genocides that are happening right now, because we sit where we sit in privilege of not having to live in it all day long, we believe we deserve the privilege to shut it off. I do not believe we have the privilege. I do not believe we deserve the privilege to shut it off. I understand that we have the privilege to shut it off, but I do not believe we, ha we deserve the privilege to shut it off. If my brother is in Palestine being bombed or digging his child out of rubble or, or writing his child's name on their limbs in the hopes that they can recover body parts when they get bombed. I do not deserve the privilege to shut it off. 
I have to bear witness. I'm being asked to bear witness by the people who are experiencing that trauma. And I, as a do, it is my duty as a human to continue to bear witness no matter how fucking hard it is to do it. I say I'm a liberationist. That means I support the liberation of all oppressed people. That means I have to be present. And, and, and even though I know we need rest and we need recuperation time so that we can have the stamina to stay in the fight, that doesn't mean I can take huge chunks of the day, the week, the month to not pay attention. That means I have to do this in small bursts, small breaks, but I got to stay on it because if I close my eyes too long, when I open them again, there will be an entire population of people erased from the face of this earth. And my answer will be, well, it was too painful and I had to shut my eyes. And I can't, I cannot do that. So if my comments seemed harder, harsher, or if my comments right now seem harsher, I'm going to say with love that I do not care. That it seems harsh that I'm saying you have an obligation as a human person to continue to bear witness, to continue to use your voice and to do what little you can do within what little power you have. I am not a person of money. I am not a person of political power. I am a person of multiple mixed oppressed groups. But I created a platform and I'm going to use my platform to speak on it. And yes, of course, I do feel like I have a little bit more skin in the game. And even I, I think I'm going to update what I said a couple weeks ago when I said that I am married to a partner who is an ethnic Palestinian. And I don't think that it matters that... Um, I am married to a partner that is an ethnic Palestinian to see the humanity of this. I, I, I believe that, but I also think in the last couple of weeks it, is, it has become more present to me witnessing what my partner is going through because they were not raised in Palestinian culture or with their Palestinian people and in fact didn't uh, start to understand what they were mixed with until our late 20s and even less engagement or, or no increased engagement in, in the other time, they are going through their mixed journey right now during a genocide. They are witnessing Palestinian people, and for the first time, they're seeing their own face there. And so I, I, can, update, I can update that thought from a couple weeks ago and, and say I still do believe that it should not matter that I'm married to a, a Palestinian, an ethnic Palestinian, to, to see the humanity of this situation. Uh, that's still true. But what has been updated is... I am now witnessing my ethnically Palestinian partner become Palestinian for the first time in their life. And hear the stories of what happened to their grandparents during the Nakba, and hear the stories of their biological father um, being born and raised as a, as a refugee. And, and it has become a little bit more personal, but barely insignificantly personal because the humanity of the situation is still bigger than anything else and so just for clarification of what I meant about the 84% drop it, it, it's not the numbers 
for my benefit. It is the mobilization effort that Militantly Mixed can be a part of. If what you hear on this show helps you in what you're doing, gives you information you need, arms you with information you can use in your activism, in your efforts, that's what I was anticipating because that's what that's the history of the show. I have, I have evidence to support that. So it, it was. It just came to a. Sh it, it just. It was such a huge shock. You know, as a mixed black person, all my life I have perceived life in such a way, thinking that black Americans were the least loved people on this planet, given how comfortable people were with how we are actively killed by the police, how, and it's swept under the rug, how we in many communities and the community I grew up in can live in such poverty while people even a block or two away can live in such richness and, and nobody speaks out about it. I have grown up like that my whole life and thinking that because I, that was my experience that, that we were the most unloved people on the planet but when I started speaking out about it on this platform, about George Floyd, about Breonna Taylor, about Ahmaud Arbery, Botham John, Philando Castillo, as I started to talk about people like that, people came to the yard. People started paying attention. People would comment. People would engage with me about it. And it made me, s it kind of corrected, I guess, the idea that I had that black, pe black American people were the most unloved in the world. until the last couple of weeks in which I've witnessed people who I thought were humanists, people who I thought were liberationists, turn a blind eye to what's happening in Palestine, or even worse, think they deserve it. Believe Biden or Netanyahu when they say there is no innocent person in Gaza. How can refugees how can there be no innocent refugees? Refugees, that word, does that, what does that word mean? That means a, 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 power, a more powerful force has them imprisoned, has them in a situation that they cannot escape on their own. They're running from something or they're, or they're, or they're staying put in a place that is, is designated for them because their humanity has been taken from them. <sighs> to see that significant of a drop, that 84% drop between those episodes made me feel at the time, and I'm not sure I'm 100% convinced right now, but that's a different thing, but at the time, what prompted me to speak on it was that militantly mixed should not be your first platform that you rush to when something happens. But I would want it to be a part of how, you know, hey, I don't know what to do about XYZ. Does militantly mixed talk about it? Let's check it out. You know, I want to be a voice in in the movement. I want to I want to help activate people. I want to help provide tools that will help keep you motivated during something like this. And 
and I did go back and listen to it and, and I was fairly clear throughout the only the only thing that I didn't say with my full chest was I understand that there's other platforms in the world. I said it, but I didn't say it as loud as I said the rest of the thing. And yeah, there's other platforms in the world and there's people far more educated about this than I am. I'm not your primary resource. I'm a resource that gives you an idea of what to research. And while you're researching, you're going to find those people that are far more informed than I am. And, and that is the role that I am playing. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I want to address it in case it, there are people who are still here listening and wondering why um, or, work, or wondering why I was focusing on the numbers because I don't usually focus on the numbers. Um, nothing has changed. The way I focus on the numbers is the same way I always focus on the numbers. Uh, it was just that it was so significant of a drop. It made me feel that I didn't actually have a militantly mixed audience. And that might be both true and not true. I, th I do think I have a militantly mixed audience. Uh, I think that there are some people who aren't as militantly mixed as I thought that they were. Um, because if you can turn it off right now, I, do, I, I can't conceive of how you can turn it off right now. I, I can't conceive of that level of inhumanity that you can know, and now we can visually see it. It's a little bit harder for Congo and Sudan, I'll admit that. You, we don't see as nearly as much footage, and therefore it's not as, like, quote, real to us as a collective. But what we're seeing in Palestine, we cannot deny. We cannot deny. And so if you can turn it off, you have more work on your humanity to do than whether or not you can mobilize right now in support of Palestine. So I would take that. That's the break I would take. Let's look at let's look at internally into our humanity. If we can turn the button off for days, for weeks, if you can do that, you got humanity work, self-humanity work to do. And then for, for those of you who needed to take bursts of breaks, I understand that. You have, to, you have to rest a little so that you can maintain the stamina because this is not going to be a short fight. This is We are going to have to maintain those of us who are going to be doing actions of some form, marching, boycotting, um, gathering aid, finding places to send aid, uh, education, work, all that other kind of stuff. This is, this, is, this is years. This is not days. This is years. South African apartheid took about 35 years to to um, to come to an end. So we're in this shit. So you you do have to rest, but you can't rest broadly. You it's it's right now because it's so imminent. Because if we close our eyes long enough, within the next days or or weeks, we will watch the a, a total and utter annihilation of an entire population of people. Can't close your eyes that long right now. You can't close your eyes that fucking long. You can take your breaks. I'm taking breaks too. I'm my doctor is is telling me that I have to time 
laying in the hammock or time laying on the floor to deal with some of my muscle issues in terms of my other health issues. That's, that's other stuff. But in terms of just like the physical break that my body needs to take, I'm supposed to do this in 15 minute uh, increments. And he advises that I don't pay attention to anything online so I could just focus on the rest in that moment. So I'm literally having to schedule a physical rest but in doing that, in not being on the phone during that time and not paying attention to a TikTok or whatever during that time and letting my brain quiet and letting my body quiet, by the time I get up off the floor or get up out of the, the hammock or off of the heating pad or off of the ice pad, I am a little bit more rejuvenated for the next step. So you do have to do stuff like that. I know you have to do stuff like that. I'm not saying... 24-7 cycle needs to be on. But what I'm saying is there there's, there's no break, long-term break that makes sense right now. Because if you close your eyes long enough, they will be gone. And we're already dealing with the collective trauma around this whole planet for what we're witnessing. Um, as we've experienced in other tragedies in throughout history, 9-11, World War II, the, the atomic bombs and stuff like that, like collectively the people that are alive during that time experience a trauma that they will spend the rest of their life recovering from. I understand that we are all in that right now, but also there's nothing we can do about it. There's no amount of shutting off that's going to protect you from that. But not doing anything will be worse. And I know that I'm speaking from emotion here. And in that case, I don't fucking care. We cannot shut our eyes to this. We cannot be quiet. As individual people, right now, I know that we do not have power. I would assume everybody who listens to the show does not have money, <laughs> or at least not that kind of money. So, okay, we're sitting in our collective spaces without money and power. As an individual person, we feel ineffective. We feel like we couldn't possibly... Do anything worth value. I understand that. But that's the thing about liberation work. That's the thing about activism. You can't do it by yourself. So what does that mean? That means you have to organize. That means you have to be engage in a collective. That means the efforts of one needs to be mirrored by the efforts of all to make an impact. So when you feel those thoughts come up, and I have them every day, every minute too, what can I do? I'm one person. What you can do is talk to somebody else, and they also are feeling that way, and then together you talk to somebody else, and together you talk to someone else until that shit grows. 
I know that we are one in roughly 8 billion people on this planet, but as we start to grow together and collective, you're bringing the people that you have gathered, they're bringing the people that they have gathered, and then you morph together into one larger group. This is how we can make change. We as individuals cannot affect change. We do not have that kind of individual power. But as a collective, we can. Which brings me to what I'm going to talk about today, which is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, both BDS movement itself, the organization, and sifting through all this collective boycott um, social media stuff, uh, which is kind of a, a mix. They're trying to do BDS work and they're trying to do it independently at the same time. And in the last week or so, as I've gotten more engaged, I, I've been able to sift through some of this. So I wanted to take the opportunity today to break down the two separate parts of this in the hopes that it'll help you and arm you in the information you need to make the decisions that you'll need to make indi individually um, to participate in the collective. <sighs> I, I didn't mean that first part to go as long as it ended up going, but, uh, you know, this is what's happening right now. Okay, so I w I'll start by clarifying BDS, and then the next section I will go into the, the more social media movement of boycott. Um, so for, th for those of you that are, you keep hearing it and you think you kind of understand what it is, I, I talked about it very briefly last week, but um, I'm going to get more explicit today. Uh, BDS movement is Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, BDS for short. It's a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, justice, and equality. BDS upholds the simple principle that Palestinians are entitled to the same rights as the rest of humanity. Now, I want, to, I want you to hear that sentence. BDS upholds the simple principle that Palestinians are entitled to the same rights as the rest of humanity. I, I want you to hear that, but I want you to believe that too. Because what we're seeing here in this genocide of the Palestinians and, and the language that we're hearing to describe them from the powers that be, inhuman animals, no innocent person in Gaza. We're witnessing U.S. Uh, weaponry being sent from Israel to carpet bomb refugees. Hear that word, refugees. What are refugees? Are they a military? Are they a militia? Even if there's a percentage of them that work in a militia. Or what, why, why are they having to be a militia? Even if every single person in Gaza was in Hamas or in a militia, why would they have to be right now? What are you looking at? You're watching two of the strongest militaries on the planet bomb refugees. And when the refugees respond, they're using missiles that are made out of farm 
chemicals, farming chemicals. Okay? Palestinians are entitled to the same rights as the rest of humanity. So what we ex expect our governments across this planet to do for their people, nobody is doing for the Palestinians. In fact, they took their, they took their country away, took away their statehood as if they had it to take away, and then punished them for having the audacity to continue to exist and justifying genocide because they want land. And in a future episode, I'm going to talk about the, the two tiers of things that are the reason why Gaza in particular is being targeted. Uh, but we're talking about BDS right now. Israel is an occupying and colonizing force. It is a Zionist state. And Zionism is just the belief and practice that a ethno-religion deserves its own country on top of an existing people. Most of the uh, actions that the state of Israel is doing is on a, it's not like I'm throwing this out by emotion, but on a global scale, considered war crimes, considered illegal occupation. The UN has stated this for decades. And even though we've seen this week how little power the UN has, the UN is supposed to guide us to prevent this stuff from happening. The UN has considered what they're doing, illegal occupation and war crimes for decades. Multiple human rights organizations such as Amnesty International, um, uh, Human Rights Watch, etc., they all have multiple peer-reviewed research studies and reports on the war crimes and the illegal occupation of Israel over the Palestinians. This is all data-driven. This is all provable. This is not emotion-driven. This is available for everybody, even documents from the, the, the Jewish Visual Library themselves state by, by like Israeli documentation themselves state that what they're doing is war crimes, is illegal, but also saying, so what? So the motivation for something like boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement is to highlight on a global scale the, the crimes that are being committed against them and ways in which we can collectively wield our financial power. So yes, Charmaine ain't got a dime to her name, but Charmaine and 100,000 Westerners, a million Westerners, two million Westerners, individuals get together and now we start, now we start to make some change. Um, so the, the idea of, of boycotting has to do with making, bringing about social and economic and um, political change through the way we spend our dollar. 
So the call to action that comes from BDS is simply to pressure Israel to comply with international law. Like you can literally believe them for what they say. I, I have seen how Israel and the U.S. governments are referring to BDS as a terrorist organization. Mind you, they are not militarized in any way, shape, or form. They do not perform any actions that there is something physically being done, like property damage or anything like that. They're a, a essentially a lobby group to try to convince people to not spend their money in certain places so that we can affect change. You can believe them. They have records. It's all it's all there to show what they do. <sighs> to understand the um, the importance of it, um, and this is not what I will go through on this episode, but there are many many resources to you can check. You can check the BDS movement website themselves. You can check Amnesty International. You can check Human Rights Watch. You can check uh, the UN's report on um, Israeli settler colonialism and apartheid, but um, there are multiple resources that show the breakdown of how uh, Israel continues to take away land, remove people from their homes, kill them with impunity, and uh, and then justify continued bombing and stuff like that off of off of smaller infractions. And I'm saying, from their perspective, their infractions. I'm saying the fact that Palestinians fight back at all is human nature. If you're, if you're being oppressed, you will eventually fight back. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I think I got off track of my... I'm probably hit, hitting the limit for how long I can sit up, but this is important, so I want to I want to try to get through it. Um, so let me break down the separate things. What is boycotts, divestment? What is sanctions? Uh, boycotts involve withdrawing support from Israel's apartheid regime, complicit Israeli sporting, cultural, and academic institutions uh, from all Israeli and international companies engaged in violations of Palestinian human rights. And, and this is all coming from the BDS website to break down what they do. I'm going to talk about boycotts, um, the, the social media boycotts a little bit separately. Uh, divestment. Uh, campaigns urge banks, local councils, churches, pension funds, and universities to withdraw investments from the state of Israel and all Israeli and international companies that sustain Israeli apartheid. Uh, sanctions. Campaigns pressure governments to fulfill their legal obligations to end Israeli apartheid and not aid or assist its maintenance. United States government both aids and assists the maintenance of the apartheid state that Israel has over the Palestinians. Uh, by banning business with illegal Israeli settlements, uh, ending military trade and free trade agreements, as well as suspending Israeli membership in international forums such as UN bodies or FIFA or you know big global global organizations, um, when you put sanctions on them, that's one more way to yield a, the dollar against them um, to be able to continue what they're doing. Uh, in 2005, Palestinian civil society organizations called for boycotts, divestment, and sanctions as a form of nonviolent pressure on Israel. Listen to that word again, nonviolent. Um, so even when they do do some form of action, um, they would be in the form of peaceful protests. And, and 
I don't think it's crazy to argue that calling for people not to spend money on an, in an institution that is going to fund genocide, I would call that a nonviolent act. There's literally pass, they're attempting to pass bills or have done so in the United States right now that are claiming that BDS is a violent terrorist organization, despite the fact that the, the weapons that they yield are documents in, with data and research to express why if you divest from or if you um, sanction Israel, you hopefully start to free the Palestinians. Uh, the BDS movement was launched by 170 Palestinian unions, refugee networks, women organizations, professional associations, popular resistance committees, and other Palestinian civil society bodies. Inspired by the South African anti-apartheid movement, the Palestinian BDS calls uh, and urge um, the Palestinian BDS call urges nonviolent pressure on Israel until it complies with international law by meeting three demands. One, ending its occupation and colonization of all Arab lands and dismantling the wall, the physical wall barrier that they put up along the West Bank, um, including East Jerusalem, Gaza, and Syria, Golan Heights, uh, which is all occupied by Israel. Two, recognizing the fundamental rights of Arab Palestinian citizens of Israel to full equality. Now, the reason why this is a separate line is because there are the refugee settlements or the the the, ter the territories that are in. I'm doing all this in quotes. Granting, uh, granted lands to Palestinians, which of course are being also illegally occupied by Israeli uh, citizens in West Bank and Gaza. Um, but there are Arab Palestinians that live with citizenship in the parts of the territory that are viewed as Israel, and they are disenfranchised and, and have less rights in society than Israelis, Hebrews um, do, or even non-people non of color Jewish people. So Ethiopian Jews and other African Jews also have the same type of oppression that happens by Arab Palestinians um, in Israel itself, too. So that's why it's a separate number. And then three, respecting, protecting, and promoting the rights of Palestinian refugees to return to their homes and properties as stipulated in the UN Resolution 194. Uh, so just for a little bit more information about this, um, in West Bank, which is supposed to be dedicated to Palestinians to, to live in, the is, uh, illegal settlements are Israelis citizens coming into the West Bank. So as, um, and, uh, many of these, and actually the majority of these, are American citizens who have been granted dual citizenship in Israel. They move into the West Bank and they go into a Palestinian person's home and remove them from their home and take possession of their home and their land. That's an illegal occupation, illegal settlement. Um, now these Palestinians who have been ejected from their home, they have no legal recourse to get their home back. And in fact, if they attempt to, they can be killed or jailed or what have you. So they end up having to go into a refugee camp. They end up living in tents. If they are able to, to live in another place, uh, a home or something like that, if they, if they have money coming in, that is hopefully a possibility for them. But a lot of times they end up in, in tents. They could have had a home for generations 
and sometime in the last 20 years or so, a random Israeli or Israeli American has gone into their homes and physically gotten them out. And then they are supported by, and I'm going to be using the word IOF or the acronym IOF, Israeli Occupying Force, although they would refer to themselves as the Israeli Defense Force, but there's nothing defense about what they do. What they do is occupy. Uh, so there's these, these Israeli Americans and or Israelis that go into Palestinian homes and take them. Uh, they are supported by the IOF. And so the Palestinians have no recourse to keep their home. So number three, that's what that is, is expressing. Respecting and protecting and promoting the rights of Palestinian refugees to return to their homes and their properties as stipulated in UN Resolution 194. UN Resolution 194 is also Googleable and readable. So it's a very simple, that's the breakdown. These are three uh, very clear, notable things. We boycott, we divest, and we sanction um, companies, organizations, and countries that do business in Israel and, and help fund and maintain the genocide of Palestinian people. And we want to pull ourselves away from that. And so collectively, uh, BDS has provided um, a list of, who to boycott that will do the, the, the biggest impact, that will have the biggest impact. Um, on their website, too, I, I would encourage you to check out their What to Boycott tab because it not only tells you what companies that they have vetted as deserving a boycott, what they also break down is, is the importance of the collective working together versus kind of like randomly everybody out here just trying to figure out who to boycott for themselves. Um, it's called targeted consumer boycotting. And what that means is we're going to, here's a list. These are the ones that have been vetted. These are the ones that put money towards, um, uh, towards uh, Israel and, and helps maintain and, and enforce even the illegal occupation. Uh, so these are the ones that we all need to collectively be boycotting, and that includes HP, Hewlett-Packard, who helps runs the biometric ID system that Israel uses to restrict Palestinian movement around um, Palestine and what's considered Israel. Uh, Siemens is complicit in Israel's uh, illegal um, settlement enterprise uh, through planned construction. Um, Puma. They sponsor the Israel Football Association. SodaStream is, I believe it is an as Israeli company, but they're actively complicit in Israeli's policy of displacing indigenous um, Bedouin Palestinian citizens. Uh, Israeli fruit and vegetables. So if you see produced in Israel on the thing, that would be something that you can directly uh, avoid. Uh, Sabra Hamas, they send their profits um, or they profit from the war and the occupation. Uh, Sabra is a, a joint venture between uh, Pepsi and Strauss Group, um, an Israeli food company. So uh, there are more that are listed there, but these are ones that I think like the Western audience, the, the American audience would be more aware of. So these are companies that full stop. We know how they benefit Israel and how they are complicit and or actively engaged in the, the um, annihilation 
of Palestinians. So those are easy ones to target, and we could all collectively not use their products anymore. Now, that might be complicated if you already have some of their products. So let's say HP, right? Even myself, I have an HP printer. I didn't know about um, it, so uh, how does that make me move going forward? Do I destroy the printer or stop using the printer? No, but what I don't do is use any more products. I don't buy any more products. So uh, when it comes time for this ink, I guess, ink cartridge to to die, I'm not gonna go buy more HP ink, but what I'm gonna do is go and I'm gonna find an alternative ink refill uh, that's not tied to Israel or the support or sponsor of the annihilation of Palestinians. And then I, that's how I'm gonna move forward. So I'm still using this item that I have and, um, and now just being an active effort to make sure that if I'm about to buy something, I make sure that it's not a HP product, fairly easy. Um, but what can get, what can get cloudy is um, there are so many companies that are tied into. Uh, let, well, I guess I can break it down pretty easy. Let's say um, uh, so I can I can use Crest toothpaste as an example. Crest toothpaste itself is just a product, and m many of us in the world probably use Crest toothpaste no problem. And when you buy Crest toothpaste and when you use Crest toothpaste, you're not thinking that it is paying for a genocide, right? Uh, so it's so you have to check and see who owns Crest. Crest is owned by Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble is a multinational company, and they got their fingers in a lot of the different pies around the world, and they actively um, support or with through profits the state of Israel. So you would have to if you don't want your dollars to inadvertently go, you have to, you, you do have to kind of look and see the individual products that you buy and who owns, who's the parent company of those things. And so you may not feel like you make that big of an impact that the tube of toothpaste is a couple of dollars. Um, so am I really making that big of, 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 a, of an, a contribution or something like that? Yeah, maybe you yourself are not. Maybe you buy four tubes of toothpaste a year and they're all you know four to five three to four dollars each okay so maybe you spend twenty dollars a year on toothpaste that doesn't feel significant en enough of a contribution and so you might you might go oh it's not that big a deal I'm just going to keep buying it but if you and a hundred million other people feel the same way that twenty dollars becomes pretty significant and so uh, what they express on this page about know what to boycott and, and targeting boycotts versus, um, you know, more general boycotts is, is um, a non-targeted boycott, kind of like what I just described with Cress. Um, I'm just sitting here trying to figure out, does my toothpaste support Israel? And so I do a Google. I find out they, they are owned by Procter & Gamble. And... Um, and I won't spend money there. Um, but then not enough of us aren't spending money there. And so it's, it's kind of, it's helping, but it's not helping at the same time. Whereas uh, if enough of us get together and target Crest products, 
then they start to see a dip in Crest product sales. And then the owner, the parent company has to decide, do they keep this product existing or do they listen to their customers and um, stop paying for genocide? But um, it's that right now that will be too difficult to do across the board. And so we end up muddying the field when it comes to boycott. So now I'm going to be transitioning a little bit out of the BDS thing specifically kind of, and talking more about the social media aspects of um, boycott right now. So BDS themselves, they have their list. And then collectively on social media, people started to to gather because certain companies came out pretty loudly saying they donated, like Disney, $2 million to Israel. McDonald's was giving free meals to IOF soldiers and um, Starbucks. I don't I don't shop at Starbucks, and I wasn't really aware of why Starbucks got added to the list. But when all this was circulating, I didn't I didn't know. I, I knew actively about the McDonald's meals, and I knew actively about Disney. So as people started listing things, it, it became pretty evident. If we got together and collectively boycotted these three companies, we could make a significant enough impact to raise their awareness so maybe they'll start to listen to us and they'll start pulling away their support of Israel. And it took a little over a week or so, but BDS did eventually co-sign the, the targeted top three um, for this particular thing. And even though they weren't on their list before, they've, they've, they've come out in support of the targeted social media um, campaign. And they want us to maintain a targeted uh, boycott because that's where we can make the biggest impact. If And we've already been able to see this because after a week of the McDonald's boycott, McDonald's started offering free fries every Friday until the end of the year. Starbucks started offering two-for-one coffee drinks. Uh, Disney cut their parks um, entry, I think, 50%, which is how I discovered some people that I know and love being like, but it's 50% off. This is the time to go, which broke my heart. Um, so what we're seeing is that even in a week's time, we as a collective made a significant enough of a hit to their finances that we both saw drops in their stocks and, um, infrequent customership so that they've either had to close early, uh, close down some um, locations temporarily, give these giveaways, or uh, reduce prices of things greatly. Uh, I am currently in um, a social media uh, liberation group where we're trying to put together actions that we can do. And one of the people, just as an anecdote, told the story about a brand new Starbucks that had just opened up in the last two months, I think August, um, right by their house. Um, as soon as it opened, it was busy all the time, all the time, all the time. But since this boycott happened, there there's no lines in the drive-through. They barely see anybody in them. And then the other day, they posted on the outside of the window that they're going to be closing the shop down temporarily for renovations and that it'll be closed until like December or something like that, from like November 6th to December something. And her question was, if you just opened in August, why do you need to renovate already? 
And the follow-up question to that is, since that I have, is since Starbucks has basically like a footprint that is fairly the same in every shop, um, you know, with like, you know, some soft changes for different physical footprints of buildings, um, but they have a very specific, this is how you build this one, this is how you build this one, whatever. If you already have that and you just opened two months ago, why do you need to renovate? So what I'm seeing from there, what I'm using my Sherlock detective skills for is that a Starbucks that opened in August starts getting boycotted in October so significantly in about a week's time that they've had to shut it down for at least a month, what they're claiming, maybe two, because there's no customership there anyway. And so they're just losing money and keeping it open. That's how we boycott. That's the effectiveness of the boycott. The boycott itself is not about the thing. It's not about the product or service necessarily. It can be, but it's more about where their money goes after it comes from us. And so if we shut off that supply, they will be forced to either cater to us, their customer base, or continue to take pressure from their from the governments that they're supporting until they run themselves way that, right out of business. And so we're going to see this kind of go from scramble to get you back by enticing you with little benefits to outright being forced to either close or listen to us. And listen, if their political um, like affiliation is so strong that they would rather close up their money-making business than to listen to their customership, good riddance. We've done our part. Shut down then. Fine. Uh, but if, even if their concern is making money over humanity and they're like, I can't make money until I do the human thing, fine. Because, because a boycott is, is a multi-tiered thing. There's first the boycott, take the money away from them. And then there's, once you show me a provable and consistent future plan and we're witnessing it, where you show us that you're not doing the bad thing anymore, we'll reward you by coming back. But that's not anytime soon. It's just that's the future goal. If you want us to start coming back, here's what you're going to have to do. We're holding our money hostage, if we're going to speak the colonizer language. We're going to hold our money hostage from you until you meet our demands. And our demands is stop giving money to a genocide. You know, our demands could also include take all that money you were giving to a genocide and give it to the people being genocided. There's that also. That's a possibility. Uh, so the messiness, I think, of, uh, well, twofold. The targeted boycott that was social media was doing the right thing. It was take the big three because if you try to spread it out too far, it won't make a significant enough global impact. You got to hit targeted boycott because it'll make them pay attention. Then you can start adding other things. But as a collective, what has been sort of gumming up things is the constant lists that keep getting updated with hundreds and hundreds of different products on there. And while that may be helpful for you as an individual person um, to, to kind of 
be more intentional about what you buy, which I think is always a good thing. And, and, and I am also actively trying to do that right now as well. And I guess I always have been, but there's just been some things I haven't maybe made that effort that I'm, I'm more aware of making that effort now. And, you know, everybody comes to things when they come to things. So even an, even someone who's in an activist space could make that mistake for a while too. What we what we can't do is say, hey, 8 billion people on the planet, here are a thousand products you need to boycott because it, it might be too much in one go and people can't make those adjustments that fast or maybe they have an autoimmune disease or maybe they're disabled and they can't physically stop shopping at certain places because um, they can't stop shopping at certain places because they can't physically go out in public. Like there's different other uh, complex reasons why some people will have to still unfortunately contribute to a country, a company that does damage like that. Uh, we're all, we're literally all going to have that. If we have a smartphone, we are contributing to the genocides in Sudan and, and Congo. If we use Google to research stuff about the genocides we are also contributing to a company that actively supports the genocides so like there's literally things you you can't do it all but if you if you do a more targeted effort you'll make a bigger impact especially if there is a collective involved so I, what I, I want to highlight that because I want to say is we have to actively continue to target the big three Disney McDonald's and Starbucks now for a person like me I do go to McDonald's, not often, but I go. So me not going is an actual participation in the boycott. If I sit there and specifically want chicken nugs in my head, I do think of McDonald's. So now that I'm craving chicken nugs, what do I got to do? I got to go find chicken nugs somewhere else. I got to find a different chicken nug. It may not satisfy the same feeling that I have when I have a McDonald's chicken nug, but, but that's not the important thing. What's the important thing is, I actively did not spend money at McDonald's today because McDonald's contributes to a genocide. So I'm going to find my chicken nug, you know, thing somewhere else, but I'm also not going to be contributing to a genocide during that time. Perfect. Uh, Disney. I'm a Marvel person. I have a podcast about uh, comic books and nerd culture, and it's predominantly Marvel based. This is going to greatly change how I move as a podcaster and a cosplayer going forward because I can't actively participate in anything that's going to support the genocide. So in cutting out Disney Plus and not going to the Marvels, which is going to really break my fucking heart because I've been waiting for that movie and the representation and everything that it represents um, for ages, I can't put money towards that. So I cannot pay to see it. Um, and I won't be able to talk about it if I do happen to see it for free. Uh, because I can't do anything that's going to support and, and uplift Disney and Marvel right now. I had to cancel my Marvel Unlimited uh, uh, account, which I've had now for easily 10 plus years. So that means I'm no longer going to be reading comics um, that are related to Marvel. I'm going to have to just dip solely into independence for a period of time. Or maybe forever, I don't know. Uh I won't be able to buy merchandise that is tied to Marvel right now or possibly forever. Uh, if I end up really wanting a Spider-Man thing, I might have to go to a independent nerd artist to get it versus anything that would uphold Marvel. These are ways in which I can actively participate 
in the boycott and it and for the marvel element not disney itself but marvel this is a significant amount of money that i will not be spending now because while i tend to be a broke person part of the reason why i'm broke is because i spend money on marvel so that is an active way. It's a targeted way. I know that I can be involved and make an impact by how much money I will no longer be spending to this thing. But then in my, so I'm participating in the BDS. I'm participating in the targeting, targeted boycott. But as a personal Charmaine who just wants to be a little bit more responsible in how I spend my money, I found out that the soap that I use is owned um, by one of the companies that supports Israel. So I'm no longer going to be using that soap. I have a bar or two of it left, and once that is gone, that's it. So what did I do? I actively started looking around for an alternative soap. I have sensitive skin, so there's certain things that I need out of it. And what did I end up finding? The Palestinian Soap Co-op, which is a, uh, a number of families that make soaps in Gaza, and they ship them to the U.S., in which they are distributed uh, on a website called the Palestinian Soap Co-op. Um, each family has a different wrapper, a different symbol on their wrapper. And so I just went through and I selected a couple different ones. I'm going to test them out once they arrive. And, um, and if they do everything I need it to do, then great. I have both solved my soap problem, um, and solved my, I didn't want to inadvertently be contributing to a genocide problem. And then going forward, uh, for however long those soaps are, are going to be available, I will be able to support something very, with with a lot of intention. I can stop supporting Dove. I can support a Palestinian family or multiple Palestinian families, and I can continue to support um, African families in getting the soaps that I get. It's just a small way that I can personally be intentional. Now, that doesn't make a big global impact on the contribution to Palestine because not everybody I know is also going to buy soaps the way that I'm going to buy, but it's something that I can do in my own life that is separate from the greater thing without gumming up the works. I have to participate in the targeted boycott. And then in my own personal life, I can just make adjustments and, and intentional spending to support entities that don't support genocide or support individual families, which is more of what I think I want to do. Uh, it can be a little bit more expensive. Um, boycotting can be expensive for the people that are boycotting. That is true. And so you have to do what you can do within your means. Um, but I would like to live a life myself, and, and I've been trying to do this for the last couple of years. Um, I'm just chipping away at things. Uh, I would like to live a more intentional life with how I spend my money. Um, and so if I can support uh, fair trade or uh, individual you know, families or solo entrepreneurs and stuff like that with the products and services that I use regularly, that is actively something I am trying to do. And I'm trying to get out of the mindset of relying on convenience as much as I do. Um, but that's a personal thing, and it's not necessarily something I'm telling everybody you have to do to be in this fight. What I will say, and will say it with my whole chest, is you have to be participating in the targeted boycott. You cannot participate in Disney anymore. You cannot participate in McDonald's anymore. You cannot participate in Starbucks anymore. And in fact, you're going to find way better coffee out in the world if you don't go to Starbucks, first of all. I don't drink coffee, but I have drank Starbucks coffee, and I've drank, like, other coffee, and I've had way better 
like fair trade coffee than I've had ever had Starbucks coffee before. Um, I am a tea drinker. The tea in Starbucks is garbage too. So that it was always going to be a a protest for me, but, um, you might find a mom and pop shop. You might find, I know Phil's coffee, which is in California, but they do have an online website is a a Palestinian company, uh, family owned. Uh, so that is something you can order coffee from them. You'd be supporting both the Palestinian family and not supporting Starbucks at the same time. Right. Uh, so these are things like you can be, it's a mix of being an active boycotter in, in it to make a difference for Gaza. And you can actively be being more intentional in your life so that you know where your dollars go in how you spend your money. But what you don't want to do is keep pushing those videos that are showing a hundred different products to start to boycott because that's going to gum up the works and that's going to spread things out and it's going to be, um, so it'll give you a justification like, well, I still want to do Disney. So I'm going to keep doing Disney, but I'm going to boycott these 10 other things. Yes, I guess, but no, because if you don't can, if you don't participate in the targeted thing, then we're not going to make the the significant amount of shifts that's going to scare the other companies into acting right. First, you got to get these big three, then we can start focusing on the others. If we do a significant enough of a of a of a hit on the big three, then as we collectively move to the other companies. Um, you know, we could be we could be incrementally fixing this problem versus kind of throwing a you know a bucket of paint at it and hoping we hit everything. If that makes sense. Um, in the show notes, I'm going to put the BDS movement website and highlight particular pages on their website. I mean, honestly, read through the whole website, read through the campaign pages, read through the get involved page. It's it's all there, but there's certain ones that I've mentioned here that I will highlight in the show notes. Um, for you to be aware of. And then um, next week or whenever I get the liberation episode up, maybe I'll air it early. Um, then I that's when I will uh, be sharing the, the subject of like, you just got here for liberation. What do you do? I'll talk a little bit about how to try to ignore the guilt of how long it took you to get involved in something because that's not a productive thing right now. You're here now. Let's get to work. And I'll talk a little bit about um, uh, how you can move in your day-to-day life to be active for the liberation of, of oppressed people. And mind you that the work that you do for yourself and your own community, you're also doing for other communities. But right now, it is a more dire situation that we focus on Palestine because there's a literal genocide happening before our eyes that we can all see and witness. And that is our priority. Um and I am not a person who believes that you sh- you can put you need to put yourself in the place of others to have empathy. Uh, in fact, it's a, a major pet peeve of mine to s- when I hear people say things like that. But if that's what you need to do to be empathetic, okay, fine. Let's take care of Palestine. Let's free Palestine. Let's end the occupation. Let's require a ceasefire from our representatives. And just know that if you're in the United States. Uh, this upcoming election year that involves the presidency also involves all of the seats of the House, 400 and what is that, 435 or something seats of the House, and I forget what it is, 10% or something like that of the Senate. This is another one of those times, like a couple years ago, where we can make a huge change, a huge change if we get together as a collective. It is not vote blue no matter who anymore, because who, who we got in there right now? Genocide Joe. 
So let's get to work. We have work to do. We have a, a year to prepare to, to find more um, progressive uh, candidates that are actually going to do what they say they're going to do. Uh, we gotta pull. Uh, we gotta pull out of the two-party system if it means that no matter what, we're either getting diet coke genocide or full-blown coke genocide. And I mean, right now, I would make an argument that it's full-blown coke genocide, even though everybody wants to say that the Democrats are the lesser of two evils. Evil is evil. <sighs> Yeah, I think I need to to go lay down. So um, I hope I've given enough information. Like I said, refer back to the show notes so you can get the links to what I've talked about today. And if you have any um, references or source materials that you would like to share that I can discuss in future episodes, please do so. Email me at charmaine at militantlymixed.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, E at militantlymixed.com. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Free Palestine. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymix for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.